The views expressed on this show are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not those of radio station KICK, Vision Communications Incorporated, its management or advertisers. Vision Communications Incorporated is not responsible for the validity or accuracy of information presented on this program. Welcome, and thank you for entering at the Red Door. Today you'll be hearing from Father Jose from St. James Episcopal Church of Springfield. Feel free to listen in. The conversation starts now. Welcome to the Red Door Talk. Wherever you are right now, be safe and be blessed. You are the beloved of God no matter who says otherwise. And that's what we believe in the core of our hearts. And if you do not believe, that is the truth. Thank you for joining us today for this Red Door Conversation. I am Father Joe's priest at St. James Episcopal Church in Springfield, Missouri. And today I have Father Steve Rogers. How do you pronounce your last name, Father? Just like the university, Rutgers, oh, but then you Rock- go and misspell it. Oh, gee, okay. I'm glad you said that because I never am able to make that clear. Thank you for joining us today. And Father Steve is joining us from Kansas City. And I have Dr. Kathleen Jackson, and she had been on the show before. And Mrs. Elaine Atkinson, who is a school teacher, who was a school teacher, retired. 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 <laughs> and so we have four people in this conversation. And uh, Father Steve is the canon to the ordinary. What that means, I think Father Steve may be able to say that better than I do. Could you please? Basically, I am the assistant. I'm the number two person to support uh, not only the bishop, but the diocese when it comes to programs and also with transition ministry when parishes become open and are looking for clergy or clergy who are uh, open to the call and making a move. I help uh, basically do um, speed dating (laughs) and... um, uh, some horse trading and NFL draft, kind of pull it all together so that uh, we get to m- people to talk to each other and get to see and discern if if they're made to be in relationship and go forward as leader in, in community. Thank you, Father Steve. And then we have Dr. Kathleen, who's a retired nurse and was also the dean of the Cox College here in Springfield, and been a credible Episcopalian. I've known her for about two-plus years and delighted to know you, Dr. Kathleen. Thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. And I have Mrs. Elaine Atkinson. I've known also for about uh, you for about two plus years, yes. and it's been a great joy to have known you, uh, Elaine. And as a school teacher, special ed teacher, she knows what some pa- parents go through and the children in their struggles. Would you I like do. to share? Yeah. Um, I've been a. I was a teacher for almost thirty years, and I've been retired now for mm. a while. But I don't think you ever retire That's true. from teaching. And you're enjoying no. this. In retirement? retirement yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Thank you. And I'm glad. Thank you all for being here today. I want to talk about trust. But first, I thought I had heard this wonderful story from Father Steve as he was sharing in one of our clergy conferences his own journey of call to ministry and his experience of God. And so I thought, well, I think it would be wonderful for all of us to hear that story, how God called him, how he, you know, to figure that out, that it is the Lord who is with us at this time of struggle and pain. I thought it would be wonderful for Father Steve. Could you please, Father Steve? 
Okay. Well, again, under the topic of trust, which is for this session and that, um, kind of an underpinning and a, a establishment of a foundation of my relationship and trust in God <clears throat> came from a time when I was in my teens and uh, kind of going through and kind of figure out what, you know, what is kind of anchored and what is kind of whimsical and in the moment and trying to sort through life, that transition from being a, a child to being a grown-up. And when everybody's starting to come to you and say, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you go, <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I did have an idea. I was going to be an architect. And I'd actually started moving into the courses and that to be prepared to go on to college. And um, actually was given the opportunity to work as a part-time stock boy and move into the wallpaper uh, and um, paint business. Benjamin Moore had a series of um, uh, distributors in Cincinnati, and so I got a chance to work. And one of the places I was to be was a storefront down in old Covington, Kentucky. It's a suburb of greater Cincinnati, but it's on the Kentucky side. And um, so on my fourth day, this is in July, the summer between my junior and senior uh, year in high school, I was 16, I was, uh, 16 going on 17. I'd be 17 at the end of the month. Uh, so you could actually sing that song, Going mm -hmm. on 16, you know, that <laughs> yeah, song from Sound of 16 Music. Yeah, I know, 16 going on 17. 17, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, there I was. And um, so I walked in the fourth day of my part-time job, and... Mr. Culp, who was a, a very kind older gentleman, had kind of been trying to teach me the trade. And one of my jobs was to go into the basement and draw off of these 55 gallon drums some bulk thinner for, you know, paint thinner or alcohol and then be in ones and fives. But this thing had like four floors. There was the main floor, which was had the, the store, and then the basement where the bulk stuff was. And then uh, floors two, three, and four were also where they still ha actually had wallpaper, and we would sell wallpaper in that. And so it was a Friday afternoon. I came back from lunch. The lady came striding into the the store and dumped on the on the counter this armful of wallpaper and said it didn't match, and she wanted to uh, you know swap it out for some new. <clears throat> I in my four day knowledge tried to talk about pattern repeat and and die lots and the whole bit well i wasn't going to work i mean the customer's always right and she wanted either you know replacement paper or money back so i scooped the wallpaper up kind of in a frustration and strode onto the elevator which was made in 2000 oh, 1918 mm -hmm. it's 1918 cincinnati hoist and crane and um it was cable driven there was no buttons Nothing like a um, safety door or cage. It was just dowel rod uh, gates on each of the floors. And so I strode on there and pulled on the cable. If you pulled down, it went up. If you pulled up, it went down. And there was a series of, like, uh, fasteners or bullets that were about six inches apart at each of the uh, floor stoppings so that this diaphragm that the cable went through would open up on the first one but catch the blunt end of the second one and then pull, you know, pull itself to a stop. Mr. Culver told me that sometimes that mechanism would fail and that the diaphragm wouldn't close fast enough and sometimes it would jump the setting, so to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't anywhere close to my mind, and so I jumped on, got off, was going up the elevator and had it set to stop on floor number two. And I already had pre-thrown the dowel rod gate up that had caught in that latch and 
I strode off and realized the elevator was still going to go. And I thought, you know, 16 year head, I thought, I don't want to go to the fourth floor. So I dropped the, the, the wallpaper and lunged back onto the elevator with the intent of getting on, but forgetting that when things are in motion, they stay in motion. And so by the time I had gotten onto the floor of the elevator and starting to pull myself onto it, it had already gotten to the top of the door jam. And the door, the door opening, the gate opening, caught my back in the mid-back, which drove the floor of the elevator under my rib cage. So therefore, I was wedged against the shaft wall and being drug up over the dowel rod gate that I had just thrown open. And I heard this horrible cracking and everything getting mutilated, and I, I immediately thought it was my ribs. And was looking across the elevator for, you know, what was going on, and I could see that I had displaced the elevator with my body enough that it was starting to scrape the plaster off the opposite wall of the shaft wall. And realized I was, I was pinned and that the only place it was going to happen is if I got to the third floor opening, there was another metal plate that would probably, with the floor of the elevator, would cut me in half like a scissors. And at that point, everything, again, the pressure of the floor moving up over my body and my rib cage, and I'm not a small guy because I was playing football and I was an offensive center and I was a person of some size. But I was in really good health because I had done all my prep work for football season because I was going to be a senior starter and a whole bit. But I wasn't going anywhere at this point because I was stuck. And I actually could feel everything in my chest and everything in my throat being jammed into my throat like I was going to get popped. And um, I realized I couldn't scream. I couldn't talk. I couldn't even do a Hollywood you know, horror scream. <laughs> I, there was just no way. Mm-hmm. And I uttered, I just basically uttered with the last that I could remember. And I said, I am yours. Mm. I, had a, I had a quick moment of, what about my mom and my dad? <clears throat> and as soon as I had the thought, my, my head said, they're going to be okay. And that's when I said, I am yours. I, I just literally totally gave up. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I said that and uttered that, I was on the elevator. I was sitting on the elevator, but I was watching my body still fight in the pinch between the shaft and the elevator. So, I mean, I was there, but I wasn't in my body. I was a spiritual presence. And to my right was this brilliant, bright light that I couldn't look at. It was too brilliant. Mm. But it was calm, and it was okay. Mm. And I remember focusing because I couldn't look at it. I remember focusing, and I was watching my body kind of out of, out of whimsy, f- struggle to still live. Mm-hmm. But I'm not there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and I said, I am yours. Mm-hmm. I will not survive this. Mm-hmm. And this presence next to me says, no, you're, you're going to survive this. You're going to be fine. But you'll follow me. You'll serve me. Mm-hmm. And without even a doubt or with a, a, without a second thought, I said, I accept that. And then I started given that I was always kind of good for negotiating and trying to talk my way out of something. I said, knowing that I was going to be probably a multi amputee, mm-hmm. or I could be a quadriplegic, or mm-hmm. I could be, you know, paralyzed, or I could, you know, whatever. 
And as I was trying to run through this list of possible conditions, the presence again interrupted me and said, no, you're going to be fine. You're going to survive this, but you'll, you'll serve me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I accept that. And as soon as I said that, I was back in my body. Mm-hmm. The elevator now has kind of worked its way up over my chest and my shoulders to my neck and my head. Mm-hmm. So I remember turning my head to the right, and the elevator passed over me, which mm-hmm. was a great thing. I mean, now I was free. The only problem was I was free in three floors of an empty shaft. Yeah. And the first thing I saw after the elevator passed over me was three floors below was a naked light bulb hanging, you know, to light. And I could see the, the cable spindle and a big GE motor three floors below me. Mm-hmm. And then I caught out of the corner of my eye, the elevator was starting to move up and away from me. And gravity had not yet caught and started to pull me down. It was like a flash of a moment, but it seemed like hours. Mm-hmm. And I saw an, about an 18-inch long industrial spring that for some reason was hanging from the bottom of the elevator as it was going away from me. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed it. Mm-hmm. I grabbed it and threw myself down and over the third floor gate onto the stockroom floor. And I kind of fell into a heap and kind mm-hmm. of got myself reorientated. And I thought, inventory. So I started to stand up, and my my legs were there, and my hands were there, and working, and the whole bit. And I started feeling up my torso, and boy, my chest and everything from having been compressed and scraped really was sore. Yeah. And then as I got to that and everything, I started noticing there was a pool of blood starting to form on the floor, and it was Mm -hmm. getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, mm-hmm. five, six, eight, ten, twelve. It was starting to spread out. Oh, my God, my face. So I checked my nose, my mouth, the whole bed, my eyes. My left ear was hanging by shreds of skin. It had been cut pretty bad. And then when my hand came around to the right side, my fingers went under the scalp that was laid out op- mm-hmm. over my right ear. So I immediately made my way to the, the steps. I, I came six flights of steps down to the down to the main floor of the um, of the store and collapsed mm-hmm. in the store. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was I was spent. And, and here this, you are. You know, for, uh, what I want to ask you is: so here you are after that wonderful, painful, terrifying experience. How long have you been since ordained? 40 years this year. 40 years. One of the things, as you were sharing, you know, one of the quotations that I thought uh, that explained in a way uh, your experience and uh, all of our experiences in going through such traumatic uh, life situations and experiences is faith don't come in a bushel basket, Missy. It comes one step at a time. Decide to trust him for one little thing today. And before you know it, you find out he's so trustworthy, you'll be putting your whole life in his hands. And that's what I heard when you were talking about. And I thought, you know, I was, I'm sitting here, Father, as I'm listening to you and Kathleen and uh, also um, Elaine. I thought, I want to hear what their thoughts are.
are, and but we we have to take a break before we continue in that conversation. And it'll be about a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, we'll be back, and I want to hear the thoughts about what you went through uh, from Kathleen and Elaine and their thoughts or their feelings about it. So just stay there, and I'll be back in a few minutes. The Red Door Conversations are supported in part by the House of Blessings Retreat and Renewal Center in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. You can take your church leadership team, ministry teams, and other groups of up to 40 people for overnight retreats, family reunions, and other events. For more information, visit them on the web at www.houseofblessings.org or call 479-253-7379. Listen to the Red Door Conversations and walk in through a Red Door near you. Visit them on the web at www.thereddoor.org. Welcome back to the Red Door Conversations. Our topic today is the topic of trust and Father Steve was sharing his story in the first part you heard. And so uh, before we go into that, I do, I do want to tell you this program is supported by an Episcopal church near you. And I have to tell you they are all over the place and we Episcopalians ask all kinds of questions and we seek answers and half the time we don't get the answers but we have figured out one thing that we are comfortable living with each other even in the midst of ambiguity, fears, and scares of daily life because we want to love one another. So if you would like to know more about us, visit us on the web at www.thereddoor.org and listen to the previous episodes or the upcoming episodes. They are all listed there. And so here we have uh, Father Steve, Dr. Kathleen, and uh, Mrs. Lane uh, with us uh, in this conversation. I want to hear, Dr. Kathleen, what your thoughts are when you heard this incredible story of Father Steve's journey to priesthood. I think very few of us go quite through such a traumatic <laughs> call to faith and trust. Wow. However, what, what springs to mind for me is that um, sometimes you come to trust in God when all else is stripped away. Mm. You know, I, I, I know that as a um, instructor of nursing students, it always amused me when I would have the 20-year-old nursing student who'd say, yeah, I'm going to finish nursing school and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have 2.5 kids mm -hmm. and they're going to come this year and that year and, and life is going to be grand. And then you find out God has completely yeah. different plans for you. And so I think about that 17-year-old kid yeah in the elevator and you were stripped in in you know and you can correct me if i'm wrong but it seems you were stripped of all your plans for the future oh, there was there was no other option right. it was it was exactly where i was at and there was nothing else nothing else is an option yeah and sometimes it takes being stripped of all your preconceived notions before you'll finally just be who you are as a spirit and right. surrender yourself to that reality. Yeah, Elaine, yeah. what do you think? Well, the first time I heard the story, your story, Father Steve, I was so overwhelmed I could hardly think mm -hmm. because it was pretty miraculous, and most of us aren't um, observers of such huge miracles. Most of our miracles are very small <laughs> and maybe further and between mm -hmm. but it, it's an it's an amazing story and i'm glad that you're telling it and oh, thank um, you my story is so much smaller <laughs> and but not really because it but 
I think it would be hard for many of us to have stories that big. Yeah, uh, Father, I want to ask you this in the context of the scripture. You know, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I'm helped. My heart exults, and my with my song I give thanks to him. How would you see that as applied in your life with all that you went through and the way that you are now as a priest in ministry? Wow. Um... I think the the entire experience of that and and actually being mute. I mean, I couldn't speak until um, even to doctors and that when they did a hundred stitches to sew me up in surgery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until my grandfather came in the bed in, into the room and took hold of my feet and looked me square in the eye and says, "I know where you've been. What were you told?" Mm. And I had to shudder through my whole being. Mm-hmm. And, and and he saw that he saw that happen. He saw that me kind of have a, a a major moment. And he, he he still held my feet. And he said, "I I know where you've been. What were you told? Just calm down. I know you know." And I that's when I was able to articulate finally mm-hmm. in front of my parents and everybody. I said, "I've been called to be a priest in the church." And when I said that, my hands opened up. Mm. So it's kind of one of those. I you know. I look back and I know that there are some characters in the Bible, like Paul getting struck blind mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus, mm-hmm. or seeing a burning bush, or some of these moments where you just are totally stripped away from any other kind of excuses, and, and God just kind of in, comes in and says, "Trust me." That's a, that's the thing. That's the thing. Actually, to actually trust. What are you? You're going to say something, Kathleen? Oh, I was just going to tell a story like Elaine. My my incidents are <laughs> much less dramatic, but um, when but I met, it's just as much real. It's just as much real to you. Thank right. you, and I yeah. I do believe that because I've had those moments in life where, like, when I met my husband, we met and married very rapidly. Mm. We met and were married four months later. And I remember along that journey, at one point as I was engaged, my um, my mind started producing all this doubt. Mm-hmm. And it was saying, are you crazy? You barely <laughs> know this guy, and you're going to commit your whole life. What are you? What are you thinking? Do you really? And and to my mind at that time, Bob had a kind of an overwhelming personality, and I was afraid that his personality would absorb mine, that I'd lose my identity, that I had worked so hard to create for 27 years. And as I, as I sat there with my dad, I remember I was driving in my car, but underneath that was this calm, mm. and there was this peace, and I couldn't get past the peace. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much I tried to worry about it, mm-hmm. I was unable to. And there was that feeling that I don't know that it was said to me in words, but it was definitely in my heart of yeah. trust this. It's going to be okay. And we're here yeah. together 36 years later. Yeah, yeah. You know, as, uh, as Father, as you were sharing and Kathleen was talking, I thought the, here is a, a quote from Teresa of Avila, one of my favorite saints from the interior castle. It is presumptuous in me to wish to choose my path because I cannot tell which path is best for me. I must leave it to the Lord who knows me to lead me by the path which is best for me so that in all things his will may be done. And But that's the hardest thing to do though, to leave it in the hands of the Lord whom you know, we haven't seen, we haven't heard, we have to simply trust. That's right. It's not something you can taste, touch, feel, but it's a, it's a sense in your being 
to take this step that you know probably is not rational, but at the same point, you got to because it's just where you're at. And, and I had the flash, and, and multiple times when I've talked about my story, and uh, go to the movie of um, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. And he's there on that precipice, and he, there's that chasm he's supposed to go, but he's supposed to trust and take the, take the first step of trust, mm-hmm. of faith. Mm-hmm. And he steps out, and it winds up being an, an invisible, but a kind of a camouflage bridge mm-hmm. that actually goes across the chasm, but you wouldn't know it unless you took the step. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you know, so, yeah, um, there's so much more to unpack, but it, the, the issue of trust was something that, from that moment with that elevator incident on, mm-hmm. um, when it's come to dealing with times of turbulence, mm-hmm. uncertainty, uh, and times even sharing with other people who are in their walk that they're having a hard time seeing how to move forward. I've, I've shared this story not so much to pull the, the focus back on me, but to right. say if you trust. Because I had to trust at that moment, and here I am. Because I was going to build great things, <laughs> and then when when the priest who asked me two weeks prior, you know, came back from the weekend because he was out of town, and he says, "You want to talk?" I said, "Holy cow, you know, Wayne, yeah." <laughs> and um, but I've, I've I've noticed that I've had to look back and say, even at times when I had like people in corporate industry in, in Detroit back in the 90s when they were doing pink slips and people were losing jobs and things were downsizing and everything in the economy was crazy and Mary one time asked me why are you doing this and I, I said oh, I gotta think about it but at the same point I came around and said right. we've got we've got neighbors who are you know losing homes and losing jobs and that I said the one thing I know is that the corporate officer of the place I'm working with meaning God I know that I won't he won't rob me of my soul <laughs> One of the things that I find interesting, and I thought when you mentioned that you were a teenager and you were kind of drawn into the life you have as a teenager, Mm -hmm. and I think that Kathleen had desires as a teenager, and I started on my path as a teacher, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. and Father Joe started on his path, his holy path, when he was a child and a teenager, and I think it's really interesting because we're asked to trust as children, and it's interesting how many of us, even maybe not knowing it's God, trust in something in our being that says, this is where you need to go. Yours was maybe a little more dramatic, but mine was just, I had no doubt when I was 15 Mm -hmm. of what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's so interesting that we're all brought to that at different stages. And I think that's one of the reasons I think we cannot discount kids because they are having, Amen. they are interfacing with God whether they know it or not. That's true. And we have to respect that. And I just think it's interesting that all of us had that same kind of experience mm-hmm. yeah. as a child. It is. It's, it is. it's like a period of adaptive formation at the core that they need to be whatever it is in the future from that point on. That adaptive core, touching base with an internal vision and a purpose and a focus and an awareness of who they are. Not what, That informs what they'll do, but they, got, they come to grips with who they are. And you don't always know where it's going to go, but I think that the idea of trusting that wholeness and trusting what you know to be true... 
yeah. is really important. Yeah, I, I agree. To, yeah, thank you. I want to thank you, Father, for sharing that story. I do think that is so true. You know, as teenagers, as children, that how we hear God and how we respond to that what we hear. And uh, so I want to thank you, Elaine, and for sharing your wisdom, and Dr. Kathleen, and uh, Father Steve. We are running out of time, but I do want to thank you and those of you are listening to us for being with us this year today and can please come back and you had been listening to the red door conversations the red door is the door of mercy the door of kindness and acceptance and welcome of all people without worrying about what your differences or sexual preferences or or where you had been in your life that's why you can enter through a red door no matter who you are where you had been in life we are a diverse group of people with a total openness to all people of all genders and orientations serving and being served and i want to emphasize that point of being served as much as we serve it is difficult for some of us to actually be served we are willing to serve and so the, it is taking both those places at the altar and in your homes Find us on the web at www.thereddoor.org. We want to tell you before we go off the air, remember, you are the beloved of God. And God is very pleased with you. Learn more about us on the, at the Red Door. Please don't walk into the Red Door. As I said before, walk through the Red Door. <laughs> May God bless you and keep you safe.